letting me be here. I, today, am preaching on a topic that I love. I'm going to be preaching on faith, and I titled this message, Uncommon Faith. And I, I just want to start off by saying, do you guys believe that God wants to do huge things in your life and in this church? Do you believe that? Good. If you don't believe it, hopefully over the course of this sermon, you will start to believe it, and you will look at life as something amazing rather than through a negative lens. So I believe wholeheartedly that God is expecting us to expect him to do big things in our life. Um, I don't believe God is a God you can channel. Uh, I don't believe that we can control him, but God has established in his word there is an element to this faith thing, and if we have big faith, he does big things. And so I, I just want to start off by saying that, and just that I believe that today could be a game changer for you. Uh, this weekend could be a game changer for your church, because I mean, you look at your city, God wants to do big things in Amarillo. He wants to do big things in all of West Texas and all of the Southwest. And what's so awesome is your pastors have a big vision. They're expecting God to do big things, and they're convinced you're expecting God to do big things. So, uncommon faith. I love looking at scripture through different lenses. So when I study, uh, for instance, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when I study the Gospels, I try to approach them in a different way every time rather than just reading them for face value. I've got ADD. Anybody else? It's hard sometimes just to do the same thing over and over and over. I start counting the birds and the telephone poles and different things, and I'm, I'm out. So I have to be creative with how I read scripture. And I think one of the cool ways to read the Gospels is through the lens of Jesus being a leader and how he led the disciples, how he led people, how he pulled potential out of people, how he got their minds to think bigger. Because I want you to think about this. He had three years to take 12 young men through a discipleship process, and then he said, I'm leaving, and you guys are going to change the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he had three years to train, teach, and equip, and cause 12 young men to rise up in a little bit broader group behind them, to change the world. And it's really cool looking at the Gospels because what Jesus taught them is what he's teaching us. And I want to look at the element of faith today uh, with Peter, but before we get into the main passage, Hebrews 11.1 1 is one of my favorite uh, scriptures in the Bible, probably one of the most popular ones about faith, and this is what it says. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I, I've grown up in church my whole life, and I have heard this scripture a lot. I memorized it when I was younger, and when people would say, do you know what it means? I was like, yeah, but I had no idea what it actually meant. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And here's what it means. Here's faith. Here's the biblical de definition. Being sure of what you hope for and being certain of what you cannot see. Being sure of what you hope for. When we hope, when we're in a trying situation, a storm of life, our like, big-time faith, well, I know for a fact God is good. Well, that's easy to say when things are going well. But when things aren't going well, our big, bold faith kind of turns into a hope scenario. I hope God is good. I hope that he's still here. I hope that he's going to do good things in my life. But this definition of faith is being sure of what we hope for. Are you sure of what you know to be true? Are you sure of God's goodness, what Pastor was just talking about? Through the ups and downs, do you believe that God is good no matter what? Do you believe that he's called us to do big things? That's faith. So knowing that, let's dive into this. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22, is a story of Peter walking on water. One of my favorite stories in um, scripture. I, I love it. I love when, when Jesus allows humans to do um, inhuman things. I mean, things that are impossible. I love it. 
but leading into this scripture, I'll kind of give you the context. So they had, Jesus had just fed the 5,000, 5,000 men, maybe fifteen to 20,000 people with a little boy's lunch. So that story had just happened, this big miracle. And they're kind of uh, separating, and Jesus is moving to the next place, and he tells the disciples to get into a boat and go across to the other side, and he'll meet them there. And so he's like, hey, see you guys, I'll meet you there. And they're probably wondering, how are you going to meet us there? Are we, I mean, we got in the boat. What are you going to do? And Jesus' plan was to go into the mountain and pray that night, and then he was just going to walk across the water. I mean, sometimes when you get to know the disciples in Scripture, they can honestly be a little annoying. So Jesus was probably like, I need some alone time. So he was just going to walk across the water. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you just want to tell your kids, get in a boat. I'll see you tomorrow. You know, (laughs) I'll just meet you over there. I hope I can walk on water. It's better than being in a boat with you. Anyway, so I'm just kidding. I love my kids, guys. Don't tell them I said that. I'm joking. Whatever. So here's where we're going to pick up. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried, out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him, and said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So this is that famous story where Jesus says, ye of little faith. That's just in the King James. Verse 32, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So when it comes to uncommon faith, faith is one thing. But when you look in Scripture, God chooses to do things in people's lives who have uncommon faith. I don't want to have common faith. I don't want to have the same level of faith as just the average person. I want to have uncommon faith. Anybody with me? So when you, if you want to have uncommon faith, I want to look at three things in this story that will allow us to get and sustain that uncommon faith. Number one is this. We need to remember what he's already done. We need to remember what God has already done in our lives. And it's a, it's a very interesting thing when it comes to remembering because humans are really bad at that. But Matthew 14 and verse 27 again said, But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Why did that mean anything to Peter or the other disciples? Why why was it so important? When Jesus said, take courage, it is I, why does that mean something? I mean, let's think about it. If it was another rabbi, just another guy walking on water, sure, you'd be like, that's pretty cool. That guy's walking on water. That shouldn't be possible. But if some random dude was walking on water and said, hey, guys, don't be afraid. It is I. They're going to be like, well, who are you? That doesn't mean anything to me. But when Jesus said, take courage, it is I, it meant something. It caused Peter to jump up, and his next phrase was, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. It caused the other disciples even to have peace immediately, and they sat down. But what was it about Jesus that initiated and caused something in Peter to jump? Peter remembered. There was something Jesus had done, and that's why it meant something. This is Matthew chapter 14. 
Jesus had done a whole lot of miracles before this story. And you can imagine in that instant, Peter all of a sudden starts remembering, wait, Jesus turned water to wine. Jesus healed a leper. Jesus brought Jairus' daughter back to life when she was dead. Jesus healed the paralytic when he was lowered from the ceiling and he came down and he healed a paralyzed man. Jesus, just a few chapters earlier, Peter's remembering, he was in the, the boat asleep when a huge storm came. We wake him up, he comes out and says, peace be still, and all of nature bows down. So when Jesus was walking on the water and they're fearful of the storm, when Jesus said, it is I, all of those things flashed through Peter's mind because he remembered who Jesus was. He remembered what he had seen. And he says, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. We have to remember We have to remember. So Peter jumps up and he volunteers. I want to come out to you on the water. uh, When I was in middle school, I did this report on Benjamin Franklin and how he was a part of inventing the lightning rod. And it fascinated me. Weird things fascinate me. So it fascinated me because the whole point was he wanted to invent a metal rod to go on the top of buildings or whatever to channel the power of a lightning bolt to try to, to invent and try to work all this whole electricity thing. He felt like if they could put a lightning rod up there, it would attract the lightning. First of all, it would decrease fires, but he could channel the power and produce electricity. And I think with our faith is a lot like a lightning rod. We can be Peter, that when Jesus in your life says, don't be afraid, it is I, that the whole thing with remembering, when I remember, it's like we're holding up a lightning rod to God saying, I want your power here. Do it through me. If you want to do something great, do it through me. Do it through this church. Do it through our church. I don't want to sit down when everybody else sits down. When Jesus said, it is I, you have two choices. You can be like the other disciples and go, nice. Now I can have peace and sit down with the crowd. Or you can jump up and say, no, I want your power here. If it's you, I want to walk on water. I don't want to sit down and play it safe. I want to walk on water. But it only came for Peter through remembering who Jesus was. It has to mean something to you when when somebody says, through Jesus all things are possible. If that doesn't mean anything to you, or you kind of slough it off, you're not remembering that all things are actually possible through Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Faith positions us to receive God's power. Only if we remember. And if you don't think remembering is, is a big deal, I want you to think about this. So about 100 years ago, a guy w- was preaching a sermon. I, re- I read his manuscript. And in this manuscript, the whole sermon was about the spiritual disciplines. And the spiritual disciplines of today, we kind of think of prayer, Bible reading, um, maybe giving, church attendance, worship. We kind of use those as a gauge to, am I doing good every day? I read my Bible, I prayed, I worshiped, spiritual disciplines. In his sermon about 100 years ago, he wrote that the number one spiritual discipline in our life should be the discipline of remembrance. And he wrote this, it was amazing about how we as humans forget. We forget who we are. We forget who God is in our lives. We forget the amazing things that God has already done because by default, we remember the bad. I mean, I, I don't, if you're married, I mean, think about this. I, I don't ever remember a time in my marriage where we had this escalated moment of emotion where I looked at my wife and was like, you know what? You are just the best wife ever. Remember that one time you just encouraged me to death? 
You remember that? Remember that one time that you just did all of those? And I'm like yelling. I've never heightened emotion at my wife. Sure, I encourage her. What happens is, you remember that one time you didn't remember our anniversary? You remember that one time you didn't do this and didn't do that? We remember the bad. That's why so many couples in counseling, it's almost, I mean, like just torture for so many people even to say one positive thing or to remember something good because we're human. And we remember the bad, and we remember the bad about God, or what we perceive as bad. We remember when we think God wasn't there, and we can't see that he was. But if you have the discipline of remembrance, you will remember that God allowed you to make it through that one situation. He sustained you through your divorce. He sustained you through that time you thought that you would end your own life. He did a miracle, he did miracle after miracle after miracle, whether you are aware of it or not, if, you, if we have the discipline of remembrance, we'll see it. And it becomes a part of our everyday life. Prayer looks more like thanking God rather than begging God. That's how we know if we have the, the discipline of remembrance. So Luke chapter 22 shows us this in the Bible where Jesus is very serious about this. And it comes with communion. At the Last Supper, Jesus says this, and we took communion today. He says, and he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. Jesus knew that we would even forget the cross. I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's how human Jesus knew we would. So we take communion not to do a spiritual religious ritual. We take communion because Jesus said, you need to to remember me to remember the gospel, to remember the cross, that when we drink the cup, when we eat the bread, it is a symbol, it's symbolic of saying, I remember what you did for me in that great exchange. The death I deserved, you took it upon you. The life you deserved, you gave it to me. We remember the gospel. And that's why we do it in church, communion, to remember. What do you do in your life to remember? What are the things in your life that you're forgetting that you should be remembering? What are the things? Because God has done miracle after miracle after miracle in your life. If you're sitting here, you're a miracle. You made it. You're here. You made it. You were sustained when you shouldn't have been sustained. And God has provided this for you, which leads me to number two. We need to recognize what he's doing now. Recognize what he's doing now. Matthew 14, 29, back to the story says, Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. So Jesus, he says, hey, if it's you, let me come to you. And Jesus is like, all right, come on. And Peter actually steps out of the boat. Can you imagine that moment being Peter? And you're, you know, you have a big mouth. Peter's always had a big mouth. And he's like, oh yeah, well, if it's you, tell me to come out. And he's like, all right, come. And you're like, oh man, uh, Thomas, you want to do it? No, not gonna, you're like, no, I'm doubting right now, kind of thing. So Peter's like, church jokes. They're as bad as dad jokes. Okay, so can you imagine that moment? Peter's like, all right, all right. And he steps out. He has the faith, and all of a sudden the water's firm. And it's firm. And he has his other foot, and he walks out, and he's walking on something that should be absolutely impossible. And we've been there before. Whether you're willing to admit it or not, or see it or not, there have been times in your life where you've stepped out of the boat, and you're looking at your surroundings going, I shouldn't be alive. There is no way logic says I should still be standing. And that's what Peter's thinking when he's walking on water. Logic says this is impossible. I am walking on water, and he's celebrating. But I mentioned Peter had a big mouth, and Peter is just this, this example of humanity in Scripture, and what we find out is just a few steps later, he starts to take for granted the fact that he is doing something impossible. 
And he's doing something he shouldn't be doing because he starts to fear something else. I think it's very easy for us to forget the past, what God has done, and remembering. But I think it's just as easy for us to not be aware of what he's doing now. So let me ask you, just think in your mind, are you aware of the great things that God is doing now in your life? And our human nature will go, well, I, don't, I can't feel anything. But here's what's amazing about God. Whether you can feel it or not, see it or not, he, I mean, he is the great, I, I was telling my kids the other day, we had a puzzle out, and I said, this is what God does. He's like the great puzzle put together guy. Because when all this is broken, whether you can see it or not, he is putting the pieces back together underneath the surface that we cannot see. There's been broken relationships and broken hopes and dreams, and we feel like God is gone, but he's right behind the veil of lack of faith that we have to pull back. And we would see that God is piecing and weaving things back together that we thought were broken forever. Are you aware of what God is doing now? Now, I want you to think about this just kind of as a little bit of a side note. Peter had to step out of the boat. How much courage did that take? And I think it's interesting that Jesus says, take courage, it is I. And it's so crazy how that simple statement meant so much uh, difference between Peter and the other disciples. Jesus says, take courage, and Peter literally views it something as something to take. I'm gonna take it, and he steps out of the boat. When God wants to do something great through someone, he will never leave you where you are. He is always calling you out of something, out of a mentality, out of being comfortable, out of certain friendships or certain relationships, not out of marriages, but out of certain things. He's calling us out to get us uncomfortable to do something that no one has ever done before. It astonishes me how many people want to change the world but do nothing different than what everybody else is doing. It's, it's astonishing. That that's, there's no logic in that. You want to do something amazing? Then you have to do something amazing. Stepping out of a boat. And I think sometimes if we get, if we're not careful, if we shrink back, we can neutralize our uniqueness. But I want you to remember this. Your uniqueness is what causes you to stand out. But if we shrink back and neutralize our uniqueness, we're no longer a magnet for God's greatness. Because we're that lightning rod. The lightning rod is that magnet for God's greatness. But if we shrink back, if Peter would have sat down with the other disciples, what would this story look like? Would, would Jesus have still said, Peter, I want you to be the rock that I'm going to build my church on? What would the rest of Peter's life have looked like if he didn't step out of the boat and distinguish himself from the other disciples? What would it have looked like? We have to step out. So when we look at the rest of the story, a few seconds later, I was mentioning, he's just walking on water, doing something impossible, and then the Bible says some wind and waves come, and he starts to be afraid. And then Peter starts to sink. I, I, think, this is, I think this is interesting because, again, it's a great picture of our humanity, and that's the moment Peter stopped remembering. I want you to re think about that. The moment Peter stopped remembering who Jesus was is the moment he started sinking. And his eyes are on this storm. So I, I want you to think about this. Let's get this straight. So Peter is literally doing something impossible. Absol it should be impossible. He's walking on water. He's a living, walking miracle. And, and he's defying the laws of nature. But then a few steps later, nature comes in a different form. And he does not believe Jesus can defy that nature, just the nature he's walking on. So if he forgets that he's walking on water and starts to be afraid of a little wind and some small waves, or maybe even big waves, but he's afraid of the waves and the wind. And Jesus is over there like, hold on. You're afraid of that 
when you're doing that? And I think sometimes Jesus looks at us like that. You're afraid of that when you're doing that? You're alive, and I'm working things behind the scenes, and whether you can see the miracle or not, I am the miracle. I am sustaining you, and you're afraid of that when I brought you through all of these things? And we can't live lives like that. And I think this is a perfect picture of who we are and our battle with faith and our human nature and reaching up for God and trying to believe big things. And it's even more insane when you study this passage and looking at Peter. It's almost like eye-rolling worthy. Because just a few chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 8, I mentioned this story. Jesus is asleep at the bottom of the boat in the hole. And the disciples are on top and the Bible says a squall comes, which is uh, basically like a hurricane. And this big storm on the lake, the body of water. And the disciples think that they're going to die. They're actually saying, we're surely going to die. This is the thing that's going to get us. Have you ever had that in your life? This is the thing that's going to get me. I'm finally going to sink. And you're like, oh, hold on. Jesus is in my boat. Let me go get him. You know, and then Jesus is asleep. They wake him up. Go, we're going to die. We're going to die. And I, at this point, this is already Matthew chapter 8. Jesus is probably like, I can't handle this anymore. Why do you think you're going to die? I'm standing right here. He walks up to the bow, peace, be still, all of nature bows down. He walks back down, here's what the disciples say. Man, surely he is the son of God because even the wind and the waves bow down to him. Even the wind and the waves. And it said, they said, Peter is one of those they's. Out of his mouth said, surely this is the son of God. Even the wind and the waves bow down. Fast forward, Matthew chapter 14. He's walking on water. And he looks at the what? Wind and the waves. And he says, that's going to kill me. And the guy who just controlled the wind and the waves is standing right there. And just because he's not silencing the wind and the waves, in that moment, Peter starts to think he can't do it anymore. And so the thing that he celebrated Jesus as God for is now the thing that he's doubting whether he's God or not. Guys, we do this all the time. He sustains us. He sustains us. We got through that financial collapse. We got through that relational breakup. And then we get to another one. And it could be the exact same scenario. And we are actually thinking and praying and believing, I don't think you can do this, God. Not this one. Not this one. He's like, are you serious? I actually got you through the exact same thing. It was the wind and the waves. And that's how we have to treat this. We need to look at the wind and the waves and go, wind and waves are circumstances in our lives. All the things that are coming in and out, the chaos, the relational stuff, the financial stuff, the doubts, wherever we might be, and say, it's circumstances. And I know circumstances are serious, and God views them as serious in your life. I don't want to make light of them, but they're circumstances. It's the wind and the waves when the man who controls them, the God who controls them is standing right there. It's the wind and the waves. I think sometimes um, we could challenge each other with this. So if you're married in here, maybe you have a friend in here, or somebody, an accountability partner, what we need to be doing with anybody, whenever we have a negative attitude, or we're starting to doubt, or we have fear, and we're going, I just don't know, things are so bad, ah, blah, blah, blah. Whenever somebody's saying that, we need to look at them and go, no, 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 you're walking on water. You're walking on, we need to have the, you're walking on water mentality. Don't forget what God is doing now. You got to recognize it. What is he doing now? You're a walking, living miracle. And when we realize that you're walking on water, then what is some wind and waves? Because it's just wind and waves when I'm walking on water. But you have to believe it. Do you believe you're walking on water? We can never let the now become normal. And that's the hardest part. 
Because now is so now. And in three seconds from now, now is going to be in the past. And it's, it's just a crazy thing that we have to start thinking about. So I want you to think about this. If God did great things in the past, and we can recognize it, we start remembering going, man, he was there the whole time. Then right now is about to be the past. But we have serious doubts right now. But if we can, if, if hindsight is twenty twenty, and we go, look at everything God has done, we also have to use logic. Right now is about to be the past. So why not right now start realizing God is doing something now because now is about to be the past. So if he always does stuff in the past, then he's always doing something in the present. So why treat the present different than I treat the past? Hopefully you guys followed all of that. Past, present, past, present. But he's doing something now. He's doing something now. Number three, we need to trust what he'll do tomorrow. We need to trust what he'll do tomorrow. Let me ask you this. What has God spoken over you? What's your destiny? What's your purpose? Because it's important for us to remember that's not some elusive thing. That's not this ambiguous thing that some people have, purpose and destiny. If, if God is the creator, then he makes no mistakes and he never creates someone without a purpose. Never. I want you to think about that. Never. If he's a perfect, perfect God and he created us, you have purpose. So we have to figure out in our life, what is God's purpose and destiny for my life? And I, it, is, it is staggering to me and honestly sad that so many people live so much of their life basing all of our decisions off of what we want rather than how God designed us to live. So we create this path and this lane of things I want in life and what I want to do, who I want to date, who I want to marry, the job I want to go into, and we have never even consulted God and said, is this the purpose and destiny you have? And then the very people who live in the lane that God didn't design for their life are wondering why there's so much friction. But by definition of God's plan, if we're living the life he didn't design, it's going to be in opposition to the life he did. And that's what's causing the friction. So many people don't have fulfillment. They don't have hope. They don't have joy. We live mundane lives. So many people, even as believers. But why? When there is a destiny, a purpose, and a calling on your life, we just have to get in the right lane. And when we get in the right lane, all of our problems don't disappear, but at least you're not going in opposition to God. Then it's just opposition to the world. But we have to find our lane. And when we find our lane and our purpose and our destiny, we'll realize God's promises. And what I can say is absolute fact. I've seen it in my life. We see it in scripture. God does not just make promises. He keeps them. He keeps them. He keeps them. You have to understand that. He keeps the promises he made, he made for you. And when he made you, that was a promise. You being born was a promise because there's destiny and purpose attached to you. But we have to trust what he'll do tomorrow. But what is he going to do tomorrow? What is your purpose? What is your destiny? What has he promised you? Matthew 14, 31 through 33 said again, Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, caught Peter. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. I'll be honest, guys. I, wouldn't, I would have made a horrible Jesus. Because if I was Jesus, when they said, Surely you are the Son of God, I would have been like, Can you guys just jump off the boat? I'm tired of this. Because every time he did a miracle, every time, at the end of the story, one or all of the disciples go, Whoa, now, surely he is the Son of God. 
And at some point, if I'm Jesus, I'm looking and going, why does this keep surprising you? I was the son of God in between the last miracle and the one now too. I'm not just the son of God when I do a miracle. I'm the son of God between miracles. And the disciples acted surprised. They were the same ones that in the other storm in Matthew chapter 8. Surely he is the son of God. In this storm, they get back in. Whoa, now surely we know he is the son. And Jesus is like, I can't take this. I'm done. You know, like this is horrible. But I think sometimes in a joking way, God kind of looks at us like that. We get reminded when something great happens. Whoa, God is the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. And we go, yeah, but he was the whole time. Do you believe that though? Do you believe that he was the whole time? Because when we know and trust that he is the son of God fully, guess what else you'll trust? Your tomorrow. That's the kicker. If you don't trust your tomorrow, then honestly, when I have struggles with trusting tomorrow, I'm trusting myself more than God because I'm trying to control tomorrow. And that's what we have to, that's where all of this gets down to the nuts and bolts of Christianity. Has the gospel, Jesus, what he did on the cross, has it ever had that moment where it revolutionized your life, where it changed you, where the roots of truth grew so deep in your heart, no storm could uproot them? Yes, we have seasons of doubt. Welcome to the club. Yes, we have seasons of I hope, and then we have seasons of I know. But at the end of the day, faith-filled people, no matter what's happening in the storm, will put their head on their pillow at night going, I hope and I know. My hope is in the truth. The truth is Jesus Christ. He is on the throne. He was on the throne. He will always be on the throne. And the wind and waves are not going to sink me this time. It's not going to happen. And if you want to trust tomorrow, you have to trust Jesus now. That's the whole kicker. Do you trust him as the son of God? When we look at Peter and, and this whole statement, when Jesus says, ye of little faith, honestly, like I have read this a lot. I've even preached on this story a lot over the years. And it kind of rubbed me the wrong way sometimes that when Jesus would pull Peter out of the water and go, man, you know, ye of little faith. And I'm thinking, why not look at Peter and go, man, I am so proud of you. Kind of push him aside and look at the other disciples and be like, hey, you guys have no faith. You sat down when he stood up. You watched him walk on water. I, I'm thinking, if I'm, if I'm you, Jesus, I'm like celebrating Peter. But what Jesus was doing is showing us in Scripture and showing Peter and the rest of the disciples what faith is. Faith, let's, let's look at 2 Corinthians real quick, 5, 7. It says, for we live by faith, not by sight. What this means is we live by truth, not by what we see in our circumstances. Not by what we see in the wind and waves. We live... We're sustained by what we know to be true. And what Jesus is doing when he pulls Peter out and says, ye of little faith, what he's saying is, you lost sight of what you knew was true and started looking at the circumstances that change every day. And that's what caused him to sink. So when he says, ye of little faith, it's a matter of sight and focus. Is your focus on the never-changing truth of Jesus Christ, his goodness, his power, or is your focus on the things that he has power over? But those things, the wind and the waves and our circumstances, yes, they're big deals, but Jesus is a bigger deal. And what he's saying, or what, what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith, not by sight. We have to believe truth. And it's what the disciples said. You truly are the son of God. And eventually it sunk in. Because when Jesus left, they changed the world. 
they changed the world. Peter still had his ups and downs. I said in last service, thank God for Peter in the Bible because it gives me hope. Peter's just like this up and down guy that needed counseling his whole life. You know, one second he's the rock that the church is gonna be built on, the next second he's sinking. The next second he's denying that he's even a believer and the next second he's being reinstated as the rock of the church and he preaches the first sermon and 3,000 people get saved and baptized. It's up and it's down, it's up and it's down. It's us. Peter is us. We're up and we're down, we're up and we're down. But the common thread the whole time was Jesus. And then when Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit, God was with us the whole time. What do you believe to be true? We can say, I believe in the Bible. I believe the Bible is true. I can say, I believe in Jesus. I can say, I believe he's God. But if I say something and I don't live it, is it real belief? No, it's words. Belief sinks in. Faith changes us. Has faith in Jesus Christ changed you to where you can look at circumstances? Are they gonna affect you? Yes. Do I still get sad? Do I still get nervous and fearful? Yes. But has faith changed you enough to where at the end of the day, you can rest your head on the pillow and think and know God is in control? You know, if you're going through a trying season, a way to test this, if a pastor sat down with you and said, hey, I wanna help you, but at the end of the day, you gotta know God is in control. If your reflex is to go, heard that you don't believe it you don't when someone says god is in control there should be instant okay god is in control god is in control and who is god he is good he is powerful he is holy he is loving and if those are the defining features of god and he's the one in control yeah i'm gonna have bad days i'm gonna have dark days and i'm gonna have bright days but through it all God is in control. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. but one of the things you can always see when you look back, all of those moments where it felt like everything, just the bottom fell out, I'm not gonna make it, I'm not gonna make it, even the pain in your life that God didn't, didn't cause. What I love is the storms, the pain, and the good times. All of it bows down to Jesus. Even though Jesus didn't cause the pain in your life, it still has to bow down to him. He's still Lord over it. What does that mean? That Jesus can take your pain, He can take your mistakes. He can take the suffering and the circumstances, the wind and the waves. He can take the good. Romans 8, 28 says when he works all those things out for the good of those who love him, what it means, it's not that he finds a good, we we need to look at our circumstances and find the good in everything. So let's be honest. Sometimes there's just bad. Sometimes there's just bad. But what Romans 8, 28 means is he'll take the bad, he'll take the good, and he lords over both of them, and he will weave those together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, where one day you'll go, how did that bad thing produce life? That's what God does. He takes darkness and produces life. He takes death and brings out life. He takes all things dying and brings restoration. That's who he is. But do you trust him? In order to trust him, you have to know him. I'm gonna end with this story to illustrate it. One of uh, my good friends is a pilot and was a, a, a pilot, a trainer in the, in the Air Force for like 20 or 25 years. And he owns a couple of little prop planes and I'll go flying with him every once in a while. And we were just talking one day, there was a small storm that hit when we were about to land. And I was asking, you know, some of those questions like, what's the worst storm you've ever been in? And what's the craziest situation kind of thing? And he started telling these stories. And what we started talking about is there are some if you're a pilot in here, you know there's some crazy situations where you can't see anything out the, the front window, the windshield. I mean, there's zero visibility of fog. 
with fog. There's storms, there's, there's rain, heavy rain, there's all, snow, all kinds of stuff. And he said, what's interesting is when you can't see, he said, in a car, you have to see because you don't have the instruments in a vehicle to drive when there's zero visibility. But in a plane, all of my training, what I know to be true about aviation and flying, when I can't see, when there's no visibility or there's all kinds of storms, I have to rely on what I know as a pilot. Look down at the tools and the instruments and all of the the computer stuff and know this is what I have to rely on when I can't see where I'm going. Guys, that's exactly what this is with faith. When we can't see where we're going because of the wind and the waves, we have to look down and rely on what we know, the word of God, our past, what we've seen God do and what he said he's gonna do in his word. That's truth. That's what I know to be true is the word of God. That's the unchanging truth that will never change no matter what's happening in society, what's happening socially, all of the winds and waves that come and go every hundred years. One thing will always remain, the truth and the love of God found in the Bible. That's what is truth. And if we know that truth, we hang on it and we focus on that instead of the storm. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5, 7 was saying. We walk by faith, not by sight. I'm gonna pray over you today. This has been a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit amarillofellowship.com.